We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app welcome back it is hardline here on news radio 930 wben joe beamer with you for 53 more minutes and then we will take it to meet the press and uh then the best of Mark Levin after that, right here on WBEN. But right now, we are talking to Niagara Falls Superintendent Mark Laurie. Mark, good morning. Good morning, and how are you today? Mark, I'm doing well. How are you on this, what is turning out to just be a beautiful Sunday morning? After this, we're headed to the Toronto Blue Jays, Houston Astros game, so it's a great day. Very nice. Are you bringing a garbage can with you? <laughs> I feel like it, because that's what I think about the Astros. <laughs> I'll leave it at home. I'm I'm glad we uh, we share that thought when it comes to the Houston Astros. Uh, starting um, starting t- tomorrow, New York State is lifting the mask rule for schools. I believe it'll be a district by district things. How is this for Niagara Falls? Well, we're still a little bit in the process, as, as we'd like to think of it. We want to we want to see what the actual guidelines say. Now, Joel, in the past, the guidelines have always caused us to have a public hearing, get public input. This would be the first time that hasn't occurred since COVID started and the guidelines have come out. So once the guidelines come out, we will uh, take a look at them, speak to our local county health director, who I believe will be on board with the guidelines. And then uh, I will contact our board of education, and then I will uh, make some uh, type of announcement. I I tending to think that we're going to use uh, the guidelines as they're written with allowances for uh, no masks in certain situations. Uh, but we want to use caution. We want to we want to acknowledge that there's two weeks left of school and that uh, we, we have been on a really great downhill trend with COVID positive cases. So the timing is curious, as you probably could ima- imagine, and we can surmise maybe why that is but um you know it it still remains to be seen what the actual uh document says in terms of what we can and can't do and i then i'll communicate this to the families and the the parents and the kids and the principals and uh we'll move forward all right so before that becomes a thing what is it like right now for kids and teachers inside the building we're a completely masked school district uh we're at three feet we're completely masked uh, six feet in the lunchrooms, gymnasiums, uh, also in music rooms. So we have been enforcing that, and it's been a very easy enforcement. Our you know, cooperation rate has been 100%. We've had no discipline issues around that expectation. Uh, kids have really acclimated themselves to it. The weather is turning. Eight of our 11 buildings are air-conditioned. That, that does make a difference in my thinking. Uh, but we're fully masked. 
and uh, we have been since the beginning of the year without problem. And air conditioning, I would have liked that uh, 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, just one of the other great things in Niagara Falls. By the end of the summer, however, we'll have nine of 11 buildings, just our middle schools, which are very, very old buildings, or, or will be without air conditioning. But, you know, it's it's a fact of the matter that school is now becoming a, a 12 or 11, 11 or 12-month proposition. So we want to outfit our buildings uh, in that way. And uh, our board had the foresight to, to approve that capital project a while ago, and we're just about done. What are end-of-the-year activities looking like for students this year? Obviously, nothing happened last year. Are you seeing more Are more of those events going forward this year? Yeah, more of the events are going forward in, in a more traditional way, we'll say. Um, and I do want to comment about the rules, though, before I tell you about the events. See, see I'm, I, I can understand and or I can surmise, again, why this change is coming, but I would have hoped simultaneously they would have looked at capacity sizes for some of these end-of-the-year events. Uh, and, I, and I'll speak about it in a moment, if I may. The, the, we're having a graduation, which will be outdoors. We have 450 graduates. We're allowing each graduate to have four tickets. That will be on June 26th with a rain date the following day. We're having a uh, senior mask extravaganza-type prom slash post-prom celebration on the grounds of the school on the 18th of June. It's what the students in the senior class wanted. And next Saturday, we have a major parade in the city of Niagara Falls where our senior students uh, parade through the city, going by every one of our schools. We're asking the community to come out and line the streets with their blue and gold, their horns horns and noisemakers, and uh, to recognize our seniors. They'll conclude that with a food truck picnic at the end of that day. We have a senior awards night, too. Uh, but those are the events. They're very getting very similar to what uh, usually occurs. But again, we're, we're, we're still restricted, um, especially at graduation time, with, with a lot of additional responsibilities we have to do. And we have to put on 20 nurses just to test uh, the students that aren't vaccinated. We have uh, about two and a half days of setup with chairs and outdoor staging uh, just to make this happen. So it's a cost. It is, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit behind the times to keep the limits the way they are. And um, nonetheless, we're going to pull it off and we're going to do the right thing for our kids. You mentioned testing. So these events um, that you mentioned, kids are getting tested before they go in? Well, the the let me go through that. The um, the class day parade certainly doesn't require any um, anything, but the senior awards will be just for the students, and the parents will view it on simulcast because we have a 250-person limit in our Performing Arts Center, and if we exceeded that limit, we would have had a test or have vaccinated people only. Our graduation is outdoors, so we have a 500-person limit, a 450 member graduating class so any of the guests that come must be uh, tested or show proof of vaccination and we're testing our students that aren't vaccinated so it's a bit of a lift it's worth doing but again i would hope that simultaneously with this announcement that there'd be some consideration uh, for raising those you know raising those rates is there still testing going on just an average school day yeah, we test every Wednesday uh, at our at our district. We use the BinX 15-minute uh, test. Uh, we do it by appointment only. The county has given us a quantity of BinX tests. Our subscription to that test is very, very low. But as a service to our community, 
as a service to our students. Uh, we have, are going to keep it going through the end of June. And then again, we'll conclude that all this uh, this year with graduation testing, but uh, it's, it's we're, we, where we were getting 50 people for testing on a Wednesday, we're down to a half dozen. So yeah, we do offer it on Wednesdays by appointment, and it's about a half a dozen people. You know, it's so interesting. You you talk about the limits still going on in this state, especially in schools. Uh, the prom event you're having is a, is a masked event. And then I go on Instagram this morning and I see DJ Pauly D from Jersey Shore uh, DJing a prom where the place is packed. There's no masks. Kids are back to having fun. And then, you know, you hear all the stuff you guys have to go through just to get a somewhat normal event going on. Yeah, it's a really good point, Joel. I watched the New York Knicks basketball game, 18,000 people in Madison Square Garden, didn't see a mask. I watched the Belmont Stakes yesterday in New York State, didn't see a mask. I, I'm just, you know, the inconsistencies uh, really confound us. Um, so you know, that's why I'm calling for not only uh, uh, some relief where appropriate and we're safe with masks, but it's time to look at those restrictions. That would have been a priority for our district, at least, because of the size of it. Let's take a look at this. And, and as you say, um, you know, in a neighboring state, it is, it is it's it's just uh, completely different. And I, I don't understand the inconsistency. I don't understand why the high regulation at this time. We have to leave those kind of decisions to local uh, decision makers. We have a nine-person, very responsible board of education that would never do anything to put kids in harm's way. So I, it, it's curious. And, and at times, obviously, you can hear it in my, vo- in my voice, a bit frustrating. Let me ask you about vaccination. So 12 and up uh, are, have been cleared to get, I think, the Pfizer uh, vaccine. Has the district been involved in any vaccination process? Yeah, we have been and we are. We continue to be. You're correct. It's 12 and up. This Wednesday, we have a uh, vaccination clinic at our elementary school, Abbott Elementary School. That's the ninth. It's from 9 to 3 o'clock. Uh, it's the... Um, it is the uh, Johnson and Johnson is also given, and why I mention that is because if you haven't been vaccinated and you're a parent or guest that want to come to our graduation, it's the last chance you can get a vaccination before you have to be tested negatively to come. And on the 23rd, we're going to be at Niagara Street Elementary School for vaccinations again, 12 and up, same uh, same type of uh, vaccination protocol. We have been encouraging people to go to our conference center, which was open and really accessible for vaccinations all along. Uh, I, I really feel that our, uh, our staff has done a great job. We're close to 85%, and it's anecdotal when I give you that number, because um, I can tell you since February 26th, when the vaccinations become much, became much more widely available, we've only had six staff cases of 1,208 uh, individuals who work for us that have uh, been COVID positive. So that's that's a real low rate. In the last 10 days uh, for our whole district, 7,000 students, 1,208 staff. We've only had two cases. Uh, they were students in an elementary school. Uh, they were unrelated. Um, so it, it, the, the, the rate is really super low. Many outside activities, many adults are getting vaccinated. We encourage more. And now I'm, I'm hearing from our high school students, at least, that they're getting vaccinated because they want to participate in summer events and they're getting ready for college. So um, so the vaccination rate is, is never where anybody wants it to be, but it's certainly a lot better. 
Speaking of the off-season of school, the summer, um, are there any summer activities going on in the district that didn't happen last year? We have 12 summer camps, uh, credit recovery programs, and recreational programs going on in the district. They start June 28th. That's Monday, the day after graduation, literally. Uh, They'll go for between 20 and 30 days. Credit recovery for students in grades 7 through 12. We'll have an elementary in-person summer school beginning July 8th through August uh, at two of our schools. That These are all free programs. We have our summer recreation program that goes on after school. We're offering P-TECH eSports crew camp this summer. So we're, we're trying to bring back as much, if not more, than we had. We know kids need this. We know this is a ramp up to September, which is a whole other topic we could spend time talking about. But we want to get kids ready now for September, even though it's not the full-blown-on, you know, six- or seven-hour day of school. So it's exciting. It's a way to ramp back into re-energizing our our next school year, and uh, I I think it's going to be a great opportunity for kids and families to get involved. Well, you know my next question is going to be, Mark. I ask you this every time because it always, you know, stuff always changes. Uh, What does it look like school is going to be in September? I should reword that. What is school going to look like when students come back in September? And I wish we had had that guidance tomorrow, but I'm going to tell you that we're going full force five days a week uh, in person, Um, you know, mask or no mask. The mask issue isn't a real big one, especially when you're three feet. Three feet is just about what personal space should be anyways. So um, we're we're coming back full, and we're making all those plans around that. What, What we're really waiting on, Joel, what is really critical and what has been already stated in places like New Jersey is remote learning or no remote learning. We are in full support of not giving a remote learning option. And let me just briefly tell you, kids need to be back in school. Uh, We have outlets for those medically fragile students already, and we could make remote learning an option and a special circumstance for remote learning. But what we're seeing, especially at the high school level, especially at the high school level, and this ties into your conversation with Assemblyman Morinello, we're seeing that jobs are available to high school students paying 16 to $18 an hour, and they are asking for the remote option because they can make a really good, uh, a good amount of money with a job. Employers need uh, workers. But what that nullifies is an ability to come to school for six or seven hours. And I I anticipate that being a major challenge if a remote-approved option is forced on us and and not used as an exception with a doctor's note. that, That is probably the single biggest issue I'm concerned about for September. We'll be safe. We'll be healthy. We'll have protocols. I'm worried about the remote option most most of all, and I think it's high time that that decision is made. Speaking of remote learning, right now with two weeks left in the school year, how many students do you still have uh, using the remote option? We have we have about close to 25 percent of our 7,000 students, which is which is quite quite high. Now, 
we can look at that positively, Joel, and we could say with that it's able to, it's enabled us to have a lot more distancing because you take 25% of the student body out, and uh, that's about 2,100 kids or so, and that gives us a lot more room in the in the schools. Uh, we'll finish strong with those students. Um, the attendance and on-task learning rate for those students is nowhere near the rate of those students that have come into school. It's not, it's just a, it's just a, a statement of fact. Uh, our our staff has tried and reached out, but the effect, the impact, and you know, and the way education was learned through that remote learning is nowhere near where it should be or could be. So uh, we did the best we could, but now it's time to move away from that option. All right, and one last thing: uh, we saw a return to school sports. How did that work out this year? Were there any major issues, or was it flawless? It, you know, I would say it was close to flawless as possible. We had two teams take a 10-day pause, our swim team and our track team. Why? That was because one of the students, and only one, on a track team of 100, 120 students that we have and a swim team of uh, about 20, uh, unfortunately, had COVID po- uh, positive uh, results. So we closed down for 10 days. There was no there was no. Um, no transmission. Uh, the protocols were followed. It was really great, uh, and and it's nice that we're still playing baseball and softball and track, and uh, we're having these sports continue lacrosse. We're having these sports continue, and I, I'd say we couldn't have asked for anything better. The seasons were compressed. The championships weren't held to the state level, which we wish we could have, uh, but uh, we ha- we got every sport in. Even our wrestlers, it's been flawless there. And you know what wrestling is like, flawless. We've been able to wrestle successfully. Every sport's been played at at the varsity and JV level, and now we're into the modified level as well. So I, I couldn't ask for anything more from our coaches, our nursing staff, medical staff, teachers, and students. It's been a real pleasure in Niagara Falls. Well, Mark, it was great catching up with you. I know when we get that uh, guidance for next year, hopefully very soon, we'll have you back on the show and enjoy the game today. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Take care, Joel. Niagara Falls Superintendent, Niagara Falls School Superintendent, Mark Laurie joining us about what goes into effect statewide tomorrow. But as he said, it's a district by district thing. And um, he wants that. He wants more guidance. And who can blame him? You know, you're, you're trying to plan all these events, trying to have, have kids have somewhat of a normal school year. And you're trying to look to September and say, are we going to be able to do this? Can can we go back full? You know, it'd be nice to have uh, that guidance, but something that we talk about a lot here. Brian and I talk a lot about during the week. Um, it's always just a little bit, right? Just so, hey, Governor Cuomo is going to have that press conference tomorrow. I wonder what he's going to let us do now. It's always a one thing here, one thing there. Never just, you know, full communication. Three months from now, this is what we're doing. Uh, unless it's, you know, two months from now, we're still going to have only 50% at an outdoor event like the State Fair. When we come back, we have Miles Carter. He is running for sheriff in the Democrat primary. He will be the first sheriff candidate we talked to here on Hardline on WBEN. I don't know about you, I think that's... Sh- we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Show's getting better every week. That's that's what I think. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. You know, I make comments about the liners. It doesn't really make any sense on the replays because the liner's not in the replay. But, you know, I digress. Joining me for the final segment here on Hardline is our first sheriff candidate to join us, and it's Miles Carter. Miles, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right, Miles. Uh, You're running for sheriff. What was your reasoning for getting into the race? Well, I mean, it's clear we need much change at the Erie County Sheriff's Department, uh, specifically in the jails, and then also diversity in the in the uh, the, uh, the sheriff's patrol. What do you What do you think right now, looking at the current sheriff's department? Uh, what do you think is the main the main problem with this outgoing administration? Well, I mean, there was over 32 deaths at the holding center. You're talking about over 400 cases of assault and sexual assault in the holding center. Um, and then you have deputies that are sleeping on the job and collecting overtime for that. So I think that the number one uh, biggest issue is, is the lack of accountability at the sheriff's department, um, which is why we've included Carroll's Law as our, our first point in our platform. What do you think of the uh, – we had Jeremy Zellner on at 1030, and he was talking about the sheriff's race and the Democrat Party putting their endorsement uh, it, behind Brian Gould before the primary. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Brian Gould just doesn't represent the change that we need. He's had his own case of police brutality against a a black man uh, while he was incarcerated at Chictawaga Police. Um, In addition to the fact that Chictawaga does not represent the diversity, their police department doesn't represent the diversity that we need. They had zero black police officers in their uh, their department up until Brian Gould decided to run for sheriff. Looking at uh, the sheriff's race, uh, looking at the primary, I'm sorry, for the sheriff's race, how is your campaign coming along and um, where are you where are you getting a lot of support? Do you have support within uh, Buffalo police officers? Uh, yeah, there are actually a few Buffalo police officers that have shown support. Uh, most of our support is coming from uh, from the black community, from the Muslim community, um, from Amherst, uh, definitely, Tonawanda. Um, we've got a lot of support out in Hamburg and Clarence, uh, Grand Island. Uh, we have supporters all over the place. And today we're holding a barbecue, actually, at uh, Lincoln Park in the town of Tonawanda at 299 Decatur and shelter number five from 12 to 3 to meet the candidate. And, Miles, going into that, um, that primary, looking on the other side of the aisle, you have, uh, you have the Republican candidates for Sheriff um, Garcia and Haley, whose last name is escaping my mind right now. What are your thoughts on those candidates? Well, my, my thought is is that uh, I'm running against all police officers, and essentially police officers are not representing the change that we need in the sheriff's department. So whether they be a Democrat or a Republican, um, there's, there's some things that we know that Democrats and Republicans both agree on, right? And, and that's war, and that's mass incarceration. Um, so I'm, I'm running against the same on all sides of the aisle, and we're running on a platform of real community change. Um, so whether it be Karen Case or it be uh, uh, Kimberly Beatty or it be Brian Gould, um, they all represent the same system that needs to be changed immensely. 
looking at the Buffalo Police Department, you know, we, we've heard a lot of call for change, for uh, reform within the Buffalo Police. Have you seen those moves being made? Uh, would you like to see more when it comes to the Buffalo Police Department? Well, I mean, we definitely need to see more when it comes to the Buffalo Police Department. I mean, their, their, their idea of police reform last year was putting their, uh, their policies and procedures on the website. Um, when in actuality, what we needed them to do is actually prosecute in cases or, or, or you know, reprimand police officers in cases of police brutality. Um, we need them to actually respond to calls where people are asking for assistance with respect to shootings. Um, we need them to solve homicides. We need them to investigate uh, uh, missing persons. I mean, all of these things are going uninvestigated. Um, you know, in the, in the case of Tierra Lott, um, you know, she, she went missing. Uh, her she was uninvestigated as a missing person for almost a week, and then it took and it was three weeks later that her body was found next to the train tracks. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lack of, of, of seriousness and investigation when it comes to real crimes that occur within the city. And that, that's really the reform that needs to be done at the Buffalo Police Department. Looking at the sheriff's department and looking at this position, um, do you think there is what, something you can do as sheriff communicating with elected political leaders um, and also communicating with the police staff around the county? Um, if you get that position, would that be something you, you would do as sheriff? Use that uh, to get these reforms at every uh, police group in Erie County? 100%. I mean, the, the sheriff's department, you know, under, under my administration will be a beacon of change, um, you know, not just for Erie County, but for the nation. We're going to Im- immediately implement Carroll's law to ensure that there's accountability, for instance, of the police brutality. We're going to halt solitary confinement uh, because of the violation of the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution. It's cruel and unusual punishment. We're going to completely deprioritize marijuana. And then in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Erie County jails, we will have women deputies overseeing women inmates um, so that we can cut down on the amount of sexual assault and assault that's occurring in those jails. Um, so, you know, we will uh, not only communicate with them, but we'll, we'll lead the way in, in showing them how change should be uh, reflected in, in, in the sheriff's department and throughout the police force uh, within Erie County. I'm also looking uh, at your platform. You also have a, a mental health agenda that you're running on. For sure, 100 um, percent. So mental health is, is a huge issue um, with respect to policing. We see time and time again that police brutality uh, occurs in instances of, of people that are seeking mental health uh, assistance or having a mental health episode. Um, you know, part of the uh, platform is to actually route uh, 911 calls to mental health respondents uh, in cases of mental, uh, mental health issues. Uh, also uh, focus on hiring mental health and behavioral health and, and drug addiction specialists in the Erie County jails, which is what's seriously lacking now. Um, we have a starting salary of about $60,000 for our deputies um, in the jails, um, and I would like to start allocating those monies to hiring the right type of people so we can start fixing the problems for uh, the people that are incarcerated. You also speak of a new correctional facility. Um, what is wrong with the current one, and what would you like to accomplish with the new one? Well, the, the, well we, we have uh, Erie County Holding Center. We have the Erie County Correctional Facility. The holding center itself doesn't have the space or the capacity to hold, house the programs that are needed for the inmates. Um, and, and the one out in Alden is far removed from the community. Um, so there is, a, there is a demand from the community to at least close one of the jails uh, because we're massively overspending and in incarceration. Which jail? Uh, we're unsure of just at this time, and so we continue to uh, work with the community and figure that out. Um, but I, I ultimately believe that a, a new facility should be created. Um, both the facilities, the Erie County Jail and the Erie County Holding Center, were built in 1985, um, and it represents uh, the style of policing and the style of incarceration from 1985. Um, we need to be on a reformative uh, uh, style of incarceration, one that provides programs and green space um, so that we can actually work on rehabilitation people. Miles, I'd like to ask you about an incident that happened uh, during the week. We saw this at the new Tapo Pool Club. Uh, They came out with a dress code and it was deemed racist. Since then, they've taken it back. What are your thoughts on that dress code and um, 
What do you think needs to be done to better understand uh, those that were offended by it? Well, I mean, it, it's clear that uh, um, stores are not allowed to discriminate based on, on race, based on ethnicity, based on uh, sexual orientation or sexual identity, right? So uh, when they release a dress code that is so clearly biased against people that, uh, against black people, um, you know, it, it's clear that it's, it's, it's discriminatory. Um, you know, my thought is, is that you should not patronize those businesses that do not want your business. Um, you know, as far as black people are concerned, we should be patronizing places uh, that are black owned and supporting our own businesses to ensure that we're improving our own economy. Um, so, yes, I, I do believe that the dress code that they posted uh, was discriminatory uh, in style and nature, but I also believe that we should be patronizing our own businesses and, 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 and ensuring that we're shopping black-owned so that we avoid those issues. All right, Miles, uh, how can we find your, your uh, campaign? How can we get out on if we're looking for more information? You mentioned uh, you do have a fundraiser today. Uh, what's your website so uh, we can get some more information? Yeah, my website is www.miles.com. Carter.com, and that's M-Y-L-E-S, Carter.com. Um, and today we're at 299 Decatur in the town of Tonawanda at Lincoln Park, shelter number five, and we're having a barbecue. Come meet the candidate. Um, yeah, and those, uh, and you can also donate through my website as well. All right. Anything you want to address before we let you go today? Uh, no, I, I really just want to stress uh, the importance of voting. We have the primary coming up. Uh, early voting is from the 12th to the 20th for the Democratic primary. Um, and then the actual primary day is on the 22nd. Uh, during early voting, you can vote at any polling place in Erie County. If you wait until primary day, it has to be at your actual polling place. Miles, good talking with you. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right, I appreciate you. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. That is Miles Carter. He is running for sheriff. He was the first to get back to me to come on the show today. Like I said, originally I was planning to have an all-sheriff roundtable. Well, not really a roundtable, but uh, all four guests today were supposed to be sheriffs and then another four next week. But I only heard back from two, both Democrats. Uh, Miles was the first to get back to me. And as I mentioned, Brian Gould got back to me. He will be joining us next week at 10.06. Hopefully, and I, I know I've mentioned this three times, hopefully the word gets out. Hopefully we have the other candidates get back to me this week and we can have um, all the sheriff candidates on. But I do thank Miles for being the first to respond and for giving us uh, some time this Sunday morning. Again, one of those important primaries coming up in just a few weeks. As you heard Jeremy Zellner say, the voting, I'm sorry, the early voting is starting Saturday. So it's right around the corner and... You always hear about low turnouts for primaries, but I will tell you this. If you are part of a party um, that is having primaries, uh, go and, and you feel strong about one candidate. You feel strongly about one candidate's uh, positioning. You think they have the better chance to get your party in that seat. Well, I would urge you to go take advantage of either the early voting or go on election day. Now, you know my opinion. I said last hour I wasn't going to give my opinion because that's more for the weekday show, and I try to not be as opinionated on Hardline. Um, but I've always felt about early voting. Uh, if you can get there on Election Day, you know, get there on Election Day. However, last year, I did vote early. And most the reason I voted early was because I was going out of town over the weekend, and I did not want to um, either come in contact with someone who was COVID positive or test positive for COVID and not be able to go and cast my vote. And that is why last year I went out, I stood in line, and I 
took part in the early voting process. Um, and you can do that, too, like I said, starting Saturday for the primaries. If you missed any of the show today, we had Angelo Morinello on uh, as our first guest, Jeremy Zellner, Mark Laurie, Miles Carter just joined us. Um, and like I said, starting next week, Brian Gould will be our first guest at 10.06. Hopefully, we will have the remaining sheriff candidates then. They have all been invited, and um, hopefully we can talk with them and get a view of what the primaries look like on both sides of the political aisle when it comes to that sheriff's race. We have just a few more minutes left here on Hardline. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back on WBEN. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you for just a few more minutes. I want to thank my guests uh, who joined me today. Assemblyman Angelo Morinello, uh, Erie County Democratic Chair Jeremy Zellner, uh, Niagara Falls Superintendent, Niagara Falls Schools Superintendent Mark Laurie, and Miles Carter, who is running for sheriff. As I mentioned, next week, Brian Gold. Uh, Gould will be joining us at 10.06, and hopefully um, the rest of the field when it comes to the primaries, which early voting starts on Saturday. Now, at the end of the 10 o'clock segment, we played a tape from Tom Puckett talking about the Facebook ban of former President Donald Trump. Right now, I want to go back to Friday and replay an interview with Susan Rosehad with Brad Garrett about these cyber hacks we keep seeing uh, around the country. You know, we saw it locally here in the Buffalo School District. Uh, We saw it with the oil refinery, and now we've seen it with a a meatpacking plant. So all all of these things that are slowing down um, the way we get materials all over cyber hacks, and what could happen next? What could be the next place, the next business? Uh, Could it be the government that gets hacked. Uh, Brian Brad Garrett sat down with Susan Rose and talked about it. Crime and terrorism analyst Brad Garrett is joining me this morning. Ransomware attacks are happening more and more frequently. In the last few weeks, Colonial Pipeline, JBS Meets, New York City's MTA, the Massachusetts Steamship Authority, and there's more. The goal, Brad, appears to be disrupting daily lives in this country. Yeah, and I think ultimately, Susan, the goal is money. The, if you keep in mind that the group that uh, it appears most of these are are focused on, the group in particular, the dark side, as it's been called, operates out of Russia or one of the Russian republics, um, has gotten really good at ransomware, is in a country where he, it's allowed to sort of run whatever direction it wants to run in the cybercrime world. Um, and if you combine that with using cryptocurrency um, or cyber uh, currency that is difficult to track, then you've got the ideal combination of a government letting you do it, a way that we can't really track the money or see where it ultimately goes to, um, and something that we can't fix in the short term. I mean, it, none of those are good answers of what I just mentioned. Does it appear, though, that that companies are paying the ransom to unlock their data? It seems that way to me. I mean, some have publicly said it. My sense, Susan, is that this happens a lot every day in this country. I mean, a lot. And we don't know about it because they pay the ransom because you're stuck. 
if you're a hospital, a police department, a, a local government, or even a state government agency, uh, and you don't have a backup system, uh, which I realize can get complicated if you're a big uh, agency or company, then you don't have any fallback. Then your data is locked. I mean, and there is no way to unlock it in, in reality without them giving you the decryption key. Um, and so as a result, um, they pay it. And typically, cyber criminals will figure out roughly what you can pay. In other words, they're not going to hack into a small police department in the state of New York and ask for $5 million. They're probably going to ask for $10,000 or something like that, knowing that they could come up with that kind of cash. Um, and <clears throat> we don't really have a way of stopping it. I mean, some companies, some agencies have better cybersecurity than others. But it's really a patchwork of who's sort of ahead of the game on security, others not. And if you're a hacker, you just start hitting away until you, you're able to break in someplace. You know, <clears> I've been then, thinking specifically about power companies and, and other utilities, too, but, but really about the power grid. How prepared or ill-prepared are they? I mean, that would be crippling. I think ill-prepared, generally speaking. I'm not, I, you know, some of them probably are better than others. <clears throat> there is some belief, and that's not, the key word is belief, <clears throat> that some of the systems have already been penetrated, not so much to hack, but to shut down. And that um, it's sort of like a sleeper cell, for lack of better terms. They're just hanging out in the system. Um, and if needed to be called upon, could be. So... If you think about how bad this could get, you should even think maybe a step beyond that. You get beyond the criminals and the, and the ransomware hackers, if you will, then what about state-sponsored government that, that would be probably more behind shutting down a power grid, <clears throat> not for money, but just to be able to shut it down? You know, um, we are a, a cashless society to a large degree. And, and because of what's been happening here, and this is mainly affecting, um, you know, computers and transactions, credit card, things like that, should people have more cash than they normally carry? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think you, you have to separate how we pay with plastic, basically, for things and the whole cybersecurity or the uh, cryptocurrency uh, system that is an entirely separate – it's virtual currency. There is no – hard money exchange until you get to the final end. But the way it is done, it's almost impossible to track. And then the guy or group in Russia or a Russian Republic or Romania or some country that's sympathetic lets these guys do whatever they want, basically, in, in the cyber criminal world, um, and they get their money at that point. And it, I don't know. There is literally nothing I can think of that we could do in the short term um, because these, these – these, these countries, we can't hold them accountable. I will tell you, Susan, the belief is if Russia started getting tons of ransomware attacks, they'd probably stop here. And that is Brad Garrett with Susan Rose. If you want to hear that in its entirety, you can find it at WBEN.com or on the Odyssey app. Again, I would like to thank my guest this morning, Assemblyman Angelo Marinello, Democratic Erie County Democrat Chair Jeremy Zellner, Niagara Falls Superintendent Mark Laurie, and Miles Carter, who is running for sheriff. Meet the Press is next on WBEN Buffalo. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.